Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign off of Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It is the forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I am joined in studio in lovely Toronto, Ontario, Canada by the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, the guy who always loves writing as soon as the intro starts, Brian Aaronworth. Dad, how you doing? I'm making notes. You're making notes. I've already thought of questions I want to ask. Just constant thinking of questions. Always. It's great. Always. All the time. Uh, I always notice that because for, for those of you who aren't watching on YouTube, you may not know this, but I'll ask, I'll ask the guests, you know, is everyone ready? The whole room ready to go. I start my introduction and it's like, that's your cue to look down and start writing <laughs> on your piece of paper. Uh, but whatever you're doing, it's working for you. Uh, we read last week, a, uh, a review that someone gave specifically to you. And I'll say, look, if you're out there leaving reviews to the podcast, make sure to show a little love to me as well. Come on. What are we doing? What are we doing here? I can't just be for my dad. <laughs> just kidding. So look, uh, I didn't say this. We're not reading a review at the top of this episode, but if you want to put yourselves in the running to receive a signed eight by 10 photo from one of our friends, Worth athletes. Uh, make sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes. We read one of those at random at the top of most episodes, and we give uh, that person yep. an opportunity to get a free signed 8x10 photo from one of our players. Uh, but uh, instead of doing that, we're just going to go straight into today's show. Our guest today is someone who has dedicated his life to the preservation of hockey history. He's an archivist, writer, researcher, historian, and probably knows more about the sport than the combined knowledge of all of our listeners. He's been dubbed the Columbo of historical sports videos and is readily called on by the Hockey Hall of Fame. TSN, Sportsnet, CBC, and the NHL to provide guidance, authority, and insight into the world of hockey. The world has benefited greatly from his dedication to the world of sports, but it's time that we dedicate the next hour of our time to understanding the history of this man himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Patsko. Paul, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And it's nice to see you guys are prepared. I just kind of um, looking forward to seeing what you can ask. No, I just <laughs> know you, Paul, but Mikey does his homework. I just sit here and uh, listen to what he brings up, and then I can comment here and there. But. Oh, okay. But I see you making notes, which is good. Got to do it. You know, yeah, you know yeah. how some people have those nightmares where they wake up and they've uh, shown up to an exam or something like that without having studied, or it's a class they didn't know they had all semester or something. My dreams are the ones where I wake up and realize I'm in the middle of a recording with no notes. That's that's how that now <laughs> manifests itself to me. But no, I absolutely have notes on this, Paul. You, myself, and my dad, we've known each other a long time, uh, almost running parallel companies in, or, 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 or uh, uh, realms of work in, in some capacity. I mean, Frameworth is, is heavily involved in the uh, maintenance, uncovering, and celebration of the history of hockey in so many sports. And it's no different, really, than, than what you do, although you do quite a bit more in terms of the digging into uh, the sports, the history, the uncovering, things that we didn't even know we had on on film specifically. That's something that uh, that I want to talk about quite a bit as we go into it. Um, you do so much in your life that pertains to the world of, of hockey. I've heard you described as a writer, as a journalist, as a, an historian, as a video archivist, especially specifically. How do you define yourself? What What is it that you do? Well, I started off just as a hockey fan as a young kid. Mm -hmm. I remember watching games with my dad back in, you know, the early days. So I was seven years old, I think. And, and I was intrigued by Hockey Night Canada every Saturday night. Mm -hmm. No one went out. Everybody watched it. And yeah. It came on at nine o'clock back then. So we missed half the game. And uh, I lost my dad a few months after the last time we watched the game together. And uh, I always wanted to recreate that feeling, you know. So I started looking for old film. Mm -hmm. No one else was doing that. And of course... You know, CBC, everyone said, it does not exist. Right. Okay, well, I didn't give up. Yeah. Found a big break at the National Archives in Ottawa. And then I started seeing what was there, cataloging it all and everything. And uh, then I got hooked up with um, people in the business. Mm -hmm. And then I started working with Leafs TV, did classic games. But everybody thought I was a genius because I knew where everything was. Right. And no one else did. Right. And, and that was my plan to do it. But it certainly grew more than that. I mean, now I got to be friends with the very players that I, I watched with the Leafs back in the sixties, and and that's that's incredible to me. Are you are you saying, Paul, that CBC didn't keep all the the film? No, uh, that it, it's surprises. A right. Yeah, it's complicated. Uh, see, back in how can I cast start in nineteen fifty two fifty three, and only one game was preserved from the first year of the English broadcast. Mm -hmm. Now, they were done on kinescope, which they, no, there's no videotape then, so they just put the, the camera 
on the TV, and they filmed it on 16-millimeter films. Right. So you'd need quite a few of those to do one game, but they they just didn't keep them. They were thrown out, or they were sent to the National Archives where I found them. Right. Now, in, in the 70s, um, when videotape came along, well, you couldn't, you could tape over it, which is what uh, most the CBC did. Yes. So the hardest footage to find is the 1970s, believe it or not, uh, of games. Yeah. So um, the collection starts from the TV collection starts from the early 50s, and it goes all the way up. Right. And most of the games from the 80s were preserved. Many from the late 50s and into the 60s, and that's that's another story how the 60s ones were found. Mm -hmm. And I could be on for two hours explaining <laughs> how um, back then they separated the commercials intermissions from the actual game tapes, sent them in different directions right. and all that. But um, I was involved in that with, with Motions at the time. Uh -huh. Bought a collection that Brian McFarlane actually had um, taken out of the gardens with permission from Harold Ballard, who didn't want them there. And these are the golden age of hockey games in the 60s, Leaf Stanley wow. Cup wins and everything. So when we got all those and Leafs TV started coming. It's called Leaf uh, Nation now or something, but I was hired to be their um, historical consultant. Right. And we worked on the classic game shows. And we did almost 200 different shows over the three, four years we did it. Right. We brought in different players. And uh, we really, you know, they're still shown now. And you can't forget the history. So when, when you mentioned like, I'm, I'm still so like this, I think this has just become so second nature to you that when you say something like you, you mentioned off the top, no one knew where anything was. I knew where everything was in terms of like just the physical tapes of these, of these games, I'm assuming is what you're saying. Where would they be in the archives or some here, some there? And you were sort of consulted to be the person who could find that. Is that, is that well, how it worked? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause the, the actual reels, the kinescopes, yeah. were sent to the National Archives by CBC back years ago. Right. Okay, they're just put there, okay? Um, and they don't, they have to have someone go through it at their end to make sure they know what's there. That wasn't done until maybe the um, late 90s, early 2000s. Oh. But no one knew they were there. Right. But I made a number of trips to the National Archives, and you get friendly with the people there, and you know, you sort of um, find things easier that way. Yeah. So, but some things are found in basements, mm -hmm. in garages. Who's, whose basement? Anybody's basement. There, Just, there, there's one game um, that the CBC used to lend these kinescopes out to people. Right. So this, this guy had in his garage a game from, it was 14 to 1 for the Leafs, 1957. And the sign-out slip for returning the, the film to the CBC was still in the can. Mm. I thought that was incredible that they would actually do that. So naturally, if that doesn't exist at, at the National Archives, because right. it was never sent because... And there was no record because the sign-off sheet was in the it can It was itself. still in there. Huh. It, it's just like Daryl Sittler's 10-point game. Yes. You see, they gave it to him, okay, which meant they... They erased most of the games for the seventies, right? And fortunately, they they didn't erase this because they gave it to Daryl before they did this, right? Now Daryl can't find it, so we still haven't. Yeah, no, we've been working with Daryl to do that. At one point, he did find it because we we are exclusive distributors of that autograph piece of memorabilia, the ten right. point night, right? But we've only taken a still, and at one point, we did a series of stills from things. So at some point, we had it. Daryl had it and now we're asking for it and he can't find it, which is, he, it, it may show up somewhere. But. Well, yeah. Um, that's a pretty significant game. <laughs> it's, it feels, what, yeah. what, what are some of the games? Cause like, I, I honestly, for, for our younger audience listening to this, this may sound crazy. If, if you, if, if you understand that like physical media is, is finite, it can get lost. But for a younger audience listening to this, the concept of just not having access to something which was broadcast may seem foreign, may actually seem foreign. 
However, there are cases where there are very significant moments in history that, as you're saying, are now completely lost. Is there anything that you know of? Any What, what, is, what is the game or the moment that you've strived or struggled to find? Uh, maybe, maybe with no positive results yet. Is there something out there that's kind of like the holy grail of this is the video I'm looking for? Well, yeah, there's the Bob Yor game when he scores in overtime. Mm, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was not saved by either CBC or CBS. Um, there's also, well, let's take the Bill Broco overtime game, sure, for instance. Sure. Okay, there's no television back then, okay? And um, But the Leafs had filmed all their games starting in 1943, 44. One camera in the greens, Shannon McKenzie used to film them for teaching purposes. They would show the players the game the day after with the mistakes they made and all that. Right. Well, a lot of those survived. Um, quite a collection of them from the late 40s all the way up. Some famous moments too. But the broken one was not listed. Right. So one day I was searching through the archives database and came across the film and it said, Unidentified hockey. Oh, that's interesting. And I asked for permission. Now, you just can't go. They just won't send it to you. You have to have permission from the owners. Right. I was working Leafs TV at the time, so I uh, got permission to, to get it. And I was still unidentified when I got it. So I'm watching it, and I can tell the year right away. Right. You know, and I... Based and, on the players, based on... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's simple for me. I... I, I Right away, I can tell it's 1951 by the players. And if Broke was wearing number five, uh-huh. you know, it's that only that one year. And I'm watching it, and I said, can this be the actual game where Broke scores? And it was. Wow. And not only that, it had all the post-game celebration on the ice that no one's ever seen. It, it was just... Um, what a find. So footage that's just sitting there that no yeah. one's checked in on accounts for the overtime winning goal, one of the most iconic moments in Toronto Maple Leaf history that no one's going to find unless you just decide as a person who's come across an unlisted film right. to go check it out. That's right. That's fantastic. Now, there there are, it, it, where how would you kind of like separate out the number of times you find something by seeking it out specifically versus you're just watching tape and find it. Cause I know there's one case of, of Willie O'Ree of an incredibly important moment in hockey history, the breaking of the color barrier that we may never have had archived unless, and you want to tell the story? Yeah, boy, you sure know you do your homework. <laughs> um, I'm working on the hockey people's history is 2005, 2006, 10 part series. Mm-hmm. And of course they're going to cover uh, Willie O'Ree in episode five. Right. And so we have access to the CBC Sports database and, and all my own databases. And, and I thought to myself, why don't I go to the CBC News Library and see if there's any sports stuff there? You know, so I did. And I see this listing of uh, the date that um, Willie Ree played. But it doesn't say anything about Willie Ree. It just says some prince from Laos has come to Montreal and they took him to the Montreal Forum. Oh, interesting. So I I, I request it. And if it isn't Willie Reese's first NHL game. Wow. You know, and of course now the CBC knows that they have Willie Ree in that footage, but they didn't know it before. Yes. So it was on that exact date and uh, they show him on the ice there wearing a different number sweater and, and shining autographs and all that. So you have to search in different places. Uh-huh. So and you got to get a little, think outside the box a little bit well, as you have opposed to, to yeah. doing uh doing a search for Willie and and finding nothing and then uh finding it in a in a circuitous route. So so had you yeah. had you kind of put two and two together because you mentioned that you were doing work for a documentary about Willie Ree at the, at this at this point well, yeah, when it, you were seeking it out. So did you kind of before you put the tape in, the film in, uh-huh. did you put two and two together that the date of this film is this date and you as a as a, a hockey historian already would have known what date he played his first NHL game? Before you started playing that tape, did you think there was a chance he was going to be on it or were you just incredibly surprised when well, you saw it? I thought there's a chance because they took him to the forum for a game in Montreal. Right. Well, he's going to a hockey game. And who debuted that night? It was Willie Reese. So you, right. you think, well, is it possible that 
they had film of the actual game and show Willie O'Ree, and they did. That's that's amazing. I, and this has to be why, you know, I mentioned in the intro, it's kind of half joking, but you've you've earned the nickname, the the Columbo of sports <laughs> film. Uh, uh, when did this happen? And was there a specific moment where people started to call you that? Well, I've, I've been called a few things, but, uh, <laughs> you know, National Treasure of Canada and, and all these things, because I, I like to preserve the history. And yeah. I don't want to forget all the alumni from the past. Yes. You see, but um, with these tapes, when you look at them in the 30s and 40s and 50s, or, there's a lot of myths of stories that may or may not be true, mm -hmm. but the video will tell you if it's true or not. Right. And there's a lot of instances where I found things, how they really happened and not as they've been written over the years. And give us, give us an example of this. That's, that's curious. Oh, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> there's so many, I can't think of one right now, but, um, oh, recent one, more recent was Alan Stanley never took, taking a face off uh -huh. in the last minute of the game against Montreal and he'd been taking face-offs the whole game, the whole series, the last 10 years, like that story. But that, that's a minor one. There's so many where you can say so-and-so won a fight and then when you look at the actual video... Wasn't the case. It, no, yeah, it's not, not exactly how they, they write it up. Um, the Ferguson-Bobby Hull fight, you know, and everybody said, oh, Fergie broke Bobby Hull's jaw and all that. Well, not even close to what really happened. <laughs> That's amazing. You, you see? Now, no one else has seen this because I only I have it because if once you um, release it, it's not rare anymore. <laughs> do you ever, do people ever get upset that you're almost ruining the allure of a story like that? I mean, I'm sure Bobby Hall fans are glad that you've set the record straight. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. You're doing all kinds of uh, social well, media and everything. I know you know all the players. So what did Bobby say when you, when you kind of can, can back his uh, side of the story up? I, I'm sure you told him. Well, yeah, and Bobby's got a tremendous memory, by the way. Yeah, oh, of course. You know, he remembers everything. I remember the first time I, I met him, um, he called me at work, and someone, I asked, well, I'm with a client, can you ask who's calling? And the girl comes back and says, well, it's Bobby Hall. I said, you know. <laughs> you know, so the guy with me says, Bobby Hall calls here, and I saw somebody playing a joke, but it was Bobby Hall. And he needed video for something. And then he came over to the house and then he said, well, how much do I owe you? I said, nothing. I got Bobby Hall in my house. <laughs> and he's been like a friend ever since. And he's remembered that. And right. that's, that's right. quite a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I also found this footage, which is incredibly interesting. Now, we know that, um, well, no, most people don't know that after 1959, uh, when Rangers were eliminated in, in Boston, they went over to Europe on a tour and they played against each other, different cities in Europe. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the players were given uh, movie cameras. This is 1959. And, and some of that survived. And, and you see Bobby Hall and he's young and uh, all these great players kidding around in, in the streets of Vienna or wherever and to me, that footage is great. It shows you what they were really like back in 59. Well, I saw that footage somewhere. Was that from We did you? that for Eddie Shack. I oh, may have right, sent that right. to you because Eddie talked about in his book. Right. You see? And Eddie, there was more stories that Eddie probably told us that we couldn't put in the book. <laughs> Lots of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there's a fellow in Boston who who you might know. Um, he, he's got a color film of that. And... To me, that, that that's historical stuff. Wow. And, you know, I don't know if you were going to bring up the fact that Paul had a big part in our Eddie Shack book. It feels like a good time to do so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, the Eddie Shack book that uh, we would have published in 20, just prior to the pandemic, essentially, right? Yeah. It would have been, was it 2019 was the year that we did it or 2018? When did Eddie pass? It was just uh, after 2020. that. 2020. 2019. The following year. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it would have been 2019. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, an undertaking that I don't know. I mean, as the way my dad operates is everything has to be quicker than than the way that it's supposed to be. And and uh, from getting all the stories from Eddie to writing the book to consulting with people like you, Paul, uh, getting some of this this video footage, some photographs as well. All all of this. Now, do you just kind of spend your time? 
watching these these uh, unlabeled videos, archiving them, sorting them so that when people come to you, you have access to sort of a database or or do you have to seek it out when, when people are asking you about it? Yeah, the last part, because I don't have the time now right. to just go and watch something. I have it cataloged, of mm-hmm. course. Not everything shot listed, but a lot of it is. Uh, when someone comes to me for a certain request for footage, then I know where to go. Right. And right now I'm involved in, I don't know, 13 different projects all at once. Wow. And it's keeping me too busy. <laughs> the The biggest one is the 50th anniversary of 1972 Summit Series. Right. Four-part series that's going to air on the CBC in September. That is huge. That's keep taking a lot of my time. We're also working on a book on the 72 series. There's the Harold Ballard documentary. Mm-hmm. There's the, a Leaf film we're doing, a Marley film we're doing. We're doing the Boris Salming movie. Um, I was opposed for that one, and I couldn't turn that one down because... Boris Salming movie, this is a, uh, a documentary or no, a No, it's actually a movie with actors. Oh, wow. And I got myself a part as a... Um, as Boris Salming. No, <laughs> no, as, uh, well, I don't actually don't know. Uh, I, I won't be a speaking part, but it'll be, I just wanted to be on the set. Actually. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, they're working on that now and that's in production and, uh, Borea has a great story. And, um, so that's, but with all these different projects and, and I'm involved in, um, podcast hockey time machine, yeah. Mike Wilson's, uh, show, Joe Tilly's, uh, it doesn't leave time for um, much else. You like being someone to whom the mouthpieces come to for information, or would you rather be the person telling it yourself? I mean, you mentioned Joe Tilly, you mentioned Mike Wilson, uh, you mentioned the person who is putting together the Boreas Salming movie, um, but you're the one they come to for the information. They're just telling other people. Is there a part of you that kind of wants to be that person, or do you like being the person working behind the scenes, making sure that all the right information is getting to those who want to say uh, it? Yeah, I remember... A few years back, um, they'd call me from the production truck during a Leaf game to ask me a question or something for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But that's another thing, being in the truck itself watching a game. Everybody should experience that if they can. Um, Yeah, I I get a lot of requests, um, and it takes time to fill them all. Most of the things I can help with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So I just try. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as all this um, notoriety and everything. Well, it was, it was good at first. Um, but then you sort of, um, you know, you, I don't have an ego like that where yeah. I, I, I want to be the guy. Is it you more know. just about the love of the sport and making sure that these things don't get lost? Because that's that's more important than me hearing about it right here and now. I want to know that if I need to refer to something, it's, it's, it's it documented, exists, yeah. right? Like that's so important. I mean, yeah. I think about just the simple fact that hearsay is what we determined past hockey experiences on. You know, the fact that Bobby Hall lost a fight is just, that's what people are saying. I can imagine also there are cases where almost stats have to be overturned because it would have been based on score sheets that people oh. are paying attention to. But are there any cases where oh, you geez, yeah. you pull up like, hey, imagine imagine finding Daryl's 10-point night video and realizing someone else touched the puck before it reached, you know, like, like who knows? Are well, there any stats that well, have to be sort of yeah, overturned? When you look at the video and, and you see who's, Okay, Bobby Bond scored a, a um, overtime goal in '64 playoffs. Right, yeah, okay? very famous, very famous. And there was one assist on the play, Bobby Pulford. Mm. Well, Pulford's on the bench. You know, Langlois shoots it up anyways on assisted goal, but Pulford wasn't even on the ice. Oh, interesting. And 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 they gave him an assist on it. So that's a there's there's more oh, than there that. There you go. So there's one of those things that. That's fantastic. Like in, in the realm of, of non-video replay as well, you know, you don't have the people managing the score sheets with it. If they, if they blink, maybe they're a little hungover. Who knows? Maybe they miss a goal. I don't know. They write the stats down wrong. The, the I would be so curious to see how much the, not the stats ranking, because I'm sure it's not going to come into that big of an effect, but like how much things change when you actually well, do get to go I'll, rewatch I'll give it. you another example. Sure. This, this one is because Pete Stemkowski is a friend of mine. Um, you know, games... Six, Leafs win the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, Pappen shoots the puck from the boards and it hits something in front of the net and goes past Gump Worsley. Mm. So Pappen gets credit for the goal and 
It's the winning goal of the last Leaf Stanley Cup. Right. Pretty good legacy, right? Yeah. Pete says to me, you know, that really hit me and went in the net. I really should get credit for that. Well, let me check the video. Sure enough, no. the puck hits Stemmer. Now, they announced it as Stemkowski's goal go at the time. And in, in the radio version of the um, broadcast, they, they talk about Stemkowski scoring it and all that. Right. But Pappen was always given credit for it. You see? Interesting. So, What would the score sheet have said? What's that? What did the, what did the score sheet say? Oh, um, That would have been Pappen. Pappen. It did say Pappen. End, yeah, okay. yeah, they yeah. changed it to Pappen. You see? To fit so, the narrative or to, yeah. Yeah, well, Pappen doesn't want to give that up. Right, of course not. You know, but Stember needs uh, some legacy, and he thinks that this should have been given to him. That's fascinating. So, now, can you go ahead? Like, is there a push to have that changed, or, or will well, it ever be changed? You know, the NHL, um, which is really good, they um, on their website they put all the game sheets on. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes you'd send something into them with proof, and they would change it. But mm-hmm. not many times will they change it. Like they won't change that. Right. You know. I mean, that would. Um, Cause a bit of a problem. Seems like it, right? How do you how do you pull that away from someone, right? right. You know, I I I get the spirit of it. It's it's cool to know that there are variations that exist, though. Do you like you know hearing you describe the stories that you're witnessing in the video? I know you 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 were a a graduate of history, right? You went to school for for history. So is has this always just been a fascination for you? Not necessarily sports, obviously, just history in general. But it seems like a mind that's geared towards that has a memory for these sorts of things. Yeah. I like history mm-hmm. uh, and it, and the sports, not just hockey, but football and baseball, right. but mainly hockey. And like you said earlier, somebody has to be able to find this footage because it's, it's Canadian, it's historic. Right. You see, and what I've done is I must have made tapes uh, for former players with their families, maybe about over 200 now. Because they want to show the grandkids that they played. Right. Amazing. I've got tons of those stories. Yeah. Uh, and whatever they, they yeah, need. Do you mind me asking, is that like a gratis thing? I mean, obviously, it's sure. a lot of time and effort that you put into it. Can you charge for that? Do you just do that out of the goodness of your heart? Or, like, or, or a combination uh, yeah. of both? You, you don't ask for, I don't ask for money. And I wouldn't. I mean, these are the players that made the game. Mm. You know, so that's that's a real feather in your cap. The fact that you know that that you're passionate about it enough just to to do it as a as a goodwill gesture because some of these some of these fam- I mean we we're talking about an era where there wasn't a lot of money in hockey. Right, right, right. And so some of the families didn't have it. I mean, Eddie Shack made a living mostly outside of the game. That's right. And a lot of the guys that have money from that era made their money outside of the game. It was only in the 70s, 80s, and onward that they started to make yeah. a little bit out of it. So. Don't you think they should have this footage? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, work is work. I don't think anyone would have faulted. Hey, Colombo wasn't doing pro bono uh, work, you know? I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to... Most of the work I do is for free anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. and for the love of it. Where where does your like like as I mentioned when you're describing the 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 year and under and knowing what the year is and who was playing and this and that, what came first, your deep understanding of the stats and the players and the years, or your affinity towards watching past tape? Like were you always this knowledgeable about the history of, of the game? Yeah, that way before yeah. I went to the um, footage stuff. Uh, yeah, I was always interested in it. Right. You know, read every book. I know that. if you if you grew up in that era and the well, I grew up largely I don't remember the 50s as right. but 60s. I I mean, you talk about hockey night in Canada. You were allowed as a kid to stay up as long as you could stay up right. on a Saturday night to watch the game. If you could stay awake the whole time, you would be able to do that. That was when they broke the rules so kids could stay up and you would watch that game till the end or you're, you'd be carried up to bed because right. you fell asleep. <laughs> you'd never fall asleep. Yeah. You'd watch that game. And it was Wednesdays and Saturdays were the two games yeah. religiously. And 
you knew everything about every player, every number that they wore. Every, I mean, the kids today are pretty good at that, It'd be too. Like, but like back then, there was only six and, teams. So. Right. Yeah. I could name every Pokemon as a kid back in the day. Yeah. I think that's just it. Just just knowledge in one ear, out the other, not usable in my day. Right. Yeah, I, I could name all the least from the 31, 32 teams. Either sweater numbers and everything all the way up. Um, because I have access to all the footage, I can right. watch it. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's a fun thing. Mm -hmm. If it turns into a job and you're under pressure and you have to charge money, it's not as much fun. Right, okay. right. It right. isn't. Uh, uh, like, but you got to put food on the table. Well, you, I know. Um, if it's the NHL, I did some work for the NHL for the, the Centennial, mm -hmm. three right. different projects, and they paid. Yeah. You know, that's So you different. go to the people that have the money at least. Well, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I remember this. Um, um, girl came to me. She wanted to do a documentary on her dad, and I. So I'm helping her with it, and she said, "Well, aren't you ever going to ask me for money?" I said, "No," <laughs> 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 because she's funding it herself, right? Right. You know, and it's for her dad, right? You know, so I've done that a few yeah, times. That's great. I mean, and and it seems like that has warranted you a reputation in in the the realm of sports and the realm of hockey as well. And you know, it was it was 1959 you mentioned was was the year that the Leafs clinched uh, the playoffs in their final game of the season, a game right. that you had watched with your dad, and that kind of put you on this path to recreate that moment, right. look up the the archived footage, and that kind of puts you on the radar of the realm of the NHL who was saying, oh, there's this person out there who's interested in this sort of thing. Let's give them more more uh, 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 projects and, and and see how much more they're willing to do. And I think it was it was it was Brian McFarlane who who reached out to you as as part of this was it, uh, a, a longtime uh, uh, announcer on Hockey Night in Canada. That moment of knowing that you're just doing this because you wanted to recreate a moment between you and your father to Brian McFarlane reaching out to you, someone who you would have listened to during that game. What, what does that do to your perspective of the sport and the community? Is that kind of what has instilled in you this feeling of community, helping other people out just because you you have the ability to? What what did that mean to you? Well, I have the ability to help people. people and, I, and that's what everybody should do. But Brian McFarlane is my mentor. Mm -hmm. A great friend for many, many years. Um, helped him on his books and a whole bunch of things. And and he opened doors for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you just can't walk into these places, NHL, right. CBC. I mean, you have to have someone to speak for you, or Hockey Hall of Fame as well. Right. And I've been affiliated with them for many years, too. So, um, yeah, having Brian open the doors for me because he's well-respected. Mm -hmm. And a historian in his own right. Yeah. He was a historian, yeah. you see? And I can't compare myself to his writing, but he's a modest fellow too. So, and he's still writing books. He's ninety years old, and he's he still needs still writing, and uh, he has to keep keep doing that. Yeah. Sure, you see. But he had old footage. In fact, the person that told me about it was Billy Harris, the former Leaf. Mm. He said, "Well, I don't have any. I only have these cans of footage, but." Talked to Brian McFarlane, and, and I did, and and that made things a lot easier. Everything expands, right? Right, right. You, you work for one, then once you're inside, then you get access to more footage. Sure. And, you know, you connect with other people and networking, and that's that's um, that's how it works. But you have to be honest, and you have to be there for the right reasons. And too. you have to prove your reputation, right? They're not going to, if you if they let you in the door and you, you snag one of those reels and they find it in your basement with the sign out slip in it, that's not going to, to, to win right. you any favors. I, I remember doing the leaf classics there in the middle of the summer and it was hot and we had all kinds of great leaf um, players. And someone asked, well, did you get so-and-so's autograph? If I did that, I'd mm -hmm. be out the door real quick. I would, right. You just don't do that. You right. see, you have to respect players you're there on a professional level and, and yeah. that's that's what you're well, there it's to. pushed i mean broadcasters are not supposed to be doing that but they'll ask the odd player here and sure. there and you know the players sometimes are happy to do it because they like the broadcaster etc but on other other times they think it's pretty unprofessional so you, you know when you can ask and when you can't, if you're respectful and you're the right person. Yeah. Now, I, I think Brian McFarlane, I, I may have the timelines wrong here, but would have put you in touch with Harold Ballard, who had essentially been working with Brian to say, I've got 800 Leaf games on tape. Get it out of here. 
And had you not been there at that time, there's 800 Leafs games that knowing Harold Ballard dumpster out back, maybe we never see it again. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Brian always said to me, well, I've got these films stored away in a place called Chisholm Films downtown, and I can never get my hands on them. I'm not sure what's in them. Uh Story was, they were all in one room in Maple Leaf Gardens. Brian was working for Harold, and Harold kicked one of the cans and, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Brian said, well, can I take this? And he said, you can take the whole lot of them, right? Yeah. This is the golden age of hockey, the 60s, all the Leafs Stanley Cup games right. and regular season games. So um, but you, the person who made the deal with Brian way back when, um, he passed away. So the person who took over that film company would not give Brian the time of day. Oh, wow. So these things stayed there for years. So I started working for Molson Sports and Entertainment and – that's when we started getting into the looking for the old games. Mm-hmm. I said, well, there's this collection that Brian can't get a hold of. So started things moving and most since they had the proper, you know, consultants, lawyers, whatever, and everything. Right. And I got them all together and they made the deal and we retrieved all those films. I had to go through them all, shot list them all, but that's not much, that's a pretty good job to have. Yeah. And so these were actual Sorry, sorry, what what is shot list? What what would that be? It would be um, someone makes a body check, someone scores a goal. Oh, so so you're running through and doing sets. Are you watching this at one-to-one speed? Like 800 games, that's, how long did that take? Well, it it took a while. Yeah. And I was working full-time at the same time. Wow. But, But the Chisholm games were not, didn't have the intermissions. They just had... The, the three periods of game action. Mm. The intermissions, openings and closings, were at National Archives. Back then, because of the sponsorship things and the commercials and all that, they, they separated the two. Right. So the game footage went to Maple Leaf Gardens. The actual um, other stuff went National Archives. And so now you got a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yeah, but then you put them together now. Right. Because you have access. Uh-huh. So I was involved in that. There's a lot of different um, things that I've helped save. I'll give you another example of um, the 72 Summit Series. Right. Okay. Now, you probably know the story, but, you know, when they wanted to, Hall of Fame wanted to show all the eight games complete at, the, I think it was the 35th anniversary. Okay. 1997. So... Um, they went to the CBC and CBC says, well, we don't have them all. How could you not have some summit series? Remember, this was 70s when they didn't right. keep anything. And so they couldn't show the games. So they couldn't show the whole games, all of them. So they went, they came to me and, and I said to them, well, I don't have them, but I've heard of somebody um, who did, says he has them. Okay. Um, here's his number. I had no idea what he really had. Um, so Hall of Fame called him, and, and then they called me back at work. and says, well, he won't deal with us. I said, why not? Well, I kind of asked him where he got them from. Well, don't do that. But <laughs> so I called the fellow, and he said, well, if you want these, you got to come down to my place, downtown Toronto, with certain money in cash, quite a bit, and, I'll, and you can have them. So I thought, well, this is kind of dangerous, but um, what if this guy has those sure, games? Sure. So I did that. I, I went to the bank. I, I, I you know, took all the cash out and went to a place downtown I'd never been before. How much cash are we talking? Well, it's a few thousand. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I went down there and he wasn't home. He finally came home and he lived in a basement apartment. Uh, cigarette smoke was just terrible. <laughs> and he was a musician too, so he had all this... Talked about music stuff. I just wanted to get it out of there. Sure. So it turns out the games were on Betamax, if you remember Betamax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not only did he have the eight games, he had game nine. I looked at it and said, what's game nine? It was the game against the Czechs. I forgot all about it. Oh, wow. And also, there's about, I don't know, 150 other Betamax tapes, all international hockey, including the, the games that Gretzky played as a junior in the world championships. Whoa, no way. No one ever had those. They weren't saved. CTV televised, but they didn't keep them. So I had those. So everybody has them now because I just let people right. ha- have them. 
And that's how those things became. So when they don't, when you say CBC didn't save them, how do they exist then? Did, did somebody just take them out of the, you know, at the time and just take them? Well, he wouldn't say. Oh, uh, he wouldn't say. How, like, what would your guess be? Like, you can't, well, you're not um, recording it on a VCR. Yeah, obviously, you had a Betamax machine, but you didn't have one in 72, that's right, for sure. That's... Uh, so, um, the answer is I don't know how he actually got them and why he used Betamax. And finally, now if I didn't do that, no one would have seen the whole game. But that's right. not the end of the story, though. Okay. Okay. So uh, um, it filled in parts of the games that CBC was missing. Right. But they still had half of game one in French and half of game four in French. So you couldn't really put out a DVD set with split uh, language. language okay? Right. And you didn't want to do it silent either. So I said, well, I know this guy in Alberta who actually taped Foster Hewitt on a reel-to-reel no back way. then. Well, maybe you can get those tapes off him, and then you can put that English over top of the French. And that's what happened. He had to do it every 10 seconds because the speed is different. That's yeah. right. So when you see the games, all the games, you don't know all this that put them all together. It's a great story. I'm now well, understanding. Yeah. I'm now understanding what you meant by no one else knew where everything was. Yeah. This isn't archives. This is hearsay of a person in Alberta who recorded it on a real. Like that's fascinating. That's right. And if it doesn't happen, we just don't have access to one of the most important hockey moments in in the history of of the sport. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. I now now I don't. We don't have to stick on this too much, but I'm still wrapping my head around this. This is kind of a new concept to me. You mentioned like, I don't know how he got his hands on, on these reels. That's right. And I asked for sort of a best guess and, and we can kind of, who knows, but like, it kind of has to be that someone took it from the, the archives or, or like, cause there is no, unless the person's at home filming it on their own camera, which I can't imagine that would have been the case. You, you are you assuming that it's, it, there's well, a, good, these are the real tapes, right? So there's, a, are, well, they're in Betamax. Now they had to have been copied on Betamax from the originals. Right. Um, when, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I didn't ask questions. Right. Okay. And, uh, but to have the 72 games, what more important hockey Games are the like well, historical in stuff in Canada. Yeah. In Canada, in Canada you, yeah. you, you need them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so this like here's the thing is is a lot of people I think hear this as like a happy story, and it is in this circumstance. This is a good story with a good ending. But do you lose sleep at night thinking about hockey's version of the Library of Alexandria burning down? What games are we missing out there? What what is what it, what do we no longer have access to? Are are there those things that you know are out there that you just haven't, you know, for the life of you been able to figure out? Well, there's, there's quite a few, actually. People in Toronto remember watching the Hamilton Red Wings junior games on CHCH. None of those games exist. Um, some of the games exist without sound because there's no TV. Right. And I'll give you an example of something that was um, a happy story. Okay. Unusual. Okay. Um, Bill Broco scored overtime in 1951, mm-hmm. and that puck sits in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Right. Okay. So one day, someone comes and says, well, I have the puck that Broco scored in overtime. I said, well, but the Hall of Fame had that. <laughs> well, no. Here's the story. My dad was at the game. Broco scores. And he asked the nurse if he can go on the ice and pick up the puck. She said, yes. No glass on the sideboards. Right. Jumped over, retrieved the puck, and they kept it in the mantle in their home for all these years up until about five years ago. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, who do you believe? Do you believe the Hall of Fame or do you believe someone came out of the woodwork many years right. ago? Well, right. you believe the Hall of Fame. Right. Okay. So the guy says to me, you know, my dad was on there. This is a true story, you know. I said, well, let me check the film. Because I'd mentioned that the post-game coverage, the camera kept rolling after Broco scoring all the celebrations. Right. So I'm watching it. No one else has seen this. Oh, my God. And I see this. The, the players are going towards the bench. Congratulations. And I see this figure walking towards the net. Oh, my God. You see. 
And I said, well, maybe there's something to this story. <laughs> so you wow. see him. So what is, do you take this information to the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. They, they can't say, yeah, they know all about it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. But in fairness to them, how can they say, uh, well, we don't have the right puck. But their story didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I was told to them, okay, they, that as soon as the puck was scored, the referee took it and he threw it over the, the glass to uh, someone in the wheelchair. Right. That was the official story. Well, when you look at the film, the referee didn't pick up the puck. He scared off the ice right away. Puck's still in there. And their story. So, gets so the work. gentleman's story that told you that is more credible than the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. And there's more proof but, to that. Yeah. But like Jim Pappen's That's goal right. versus Stemkowski's. Yeah. You don't want to go back and change history after you've been telling it one way the whole time. So, but for me, that's the fascinating that's, part. I, I love right. that. I mean, this there must be so many cases like that. You know, you talk about, uh, uh, or, or I, I kind of brought up the Library of Alexandria thing, like all these these games that must have been lost. You are one person doing this. Primarily, it seems like you have a, a heavy focus on like the Toronto Maple Leafs. At least in the case of Harold Ballard and getting rid of his, all of his all of his films. Are there teams out there that we just know there are gaps in the seventies of like, sorry guys, but well, we just can't watch those games. No, nobody kept games in the seventies. Not any of the TV stations in the states either this is the odd one um other teams see the reason i have more leaf stuff is because the leafs save their stuff right simple as that hockey right. in canada from the 50s and 60s and well they tried not to though ballard tried not to at least well, and, and you you got in yeah and, and yeah, that's yeah. only because of the, the sponsors at the time they split the games back then now it, it seems unreasonable now you know but back then that's what they did and so all those games were saved. They'd still be sitting there if we didn't get involved in it. Right. See, so, you know, there's other games. I like to get, find games with the CBS from the, when they did games in the 50s and they say they don't exist. Just because some, somebody says it doesn't exist mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's true. Right. Uh, look at the Ian Turnbull five-goal game. That wasn't saved, but someone had that. And it was on Betamax as well. Wow. See, and if yeah, somebody yeah. didn't take the actual, ta- and like, in the 72 series that you're talking about, they took the actual footage and then recorded it on beta. Mm-hmm. Now, was there somebody responsible for doing that at the time or did just somebody take it as their own initiative to, to do that, which meant that it existed in another form that somebody else could have stolen, taken, walked out the door with yeah. or, or given somebody some money for? That's right, Brian. Yeah. I mean, things disappeared. You see, there are different reasons why games don't exist. We know why the Settler game uh, wasn't part of the ones that got erased, okay? Um, sometimes a, a player will will get the gift from the CBC if it's an important game. That's good. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, it, I mean, if you left it to a guy like Harold Ballard, who's a reverence for the history of the game, it, just, it was just all about making money for Harold. That's mm-hmm. right. And I remember, I like, well, Mike Mike Wilson who went ended up going to i mean the boxes and boxes barilko's contract mike got that's right it was sitting in a box somewhere now if harold knew it was there he'd throw it out yeah like like not not throw out specifically that contract but just like i don't have boxes i don't have room for all that maple leaf gardens there was storage rooms and that just throw it all out yeah so when they closed the gardens mike went down and bought well so many things that did dressing room doors and sure the, yeah, sure all that right. stuff. yeah you've been to mike's all well, his man cave he is, he doesn't have it yeah. anymore but that was a tremendous thing i mean we used to do nights at mike wilson's um different theme nights we did our 1930s there, yeah. leafs ones not with the players but with their you know offspring okay sure and i would show footage i would show we would have um king clancy's son we'd have um Primo's granddaughter, we'd have Charlie Conacher's son. I mean, fun night. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where you learn because they'll tell you things, not just them, but other players. And we must have, I don't know, about 60, 70 different theme nights we did there. Yeah. And, and Mike was so generous that he hosted them and it's just incredible. And that's how you learn, you know? Well, I, I mean, it wasn't just. I mean, shouldn't say it that way. 
he had the grandchildren of of great players. But I mean, he had Bobby Orr in there. He had Wayne Gretzky yeah. in his basement. Yeah. Um, I mean, he put together some great events from grandchildren all the way up to the greatest stars that ever played the game. And they were all in his, his basement right. or out by the pool. And what great evenings Is, they were. I mean, from, yeah. from the moment in 1959 that you started, or, or the moment you started looking for this tape from 1959 to, to sitting in a basement with the likes of, of Wayne Gretzky and, and, and giving him something that he hadn't prior had access to because you found it in the archives or, or showing him something he hadn't seen before. What does that do for you? I mean, that's got to be surreal. Well, uh, yeah, it is. Um, that one of those nights, and it's for a charity fair that Mike organized. They had Esposito and Mike Keenan, Bobby Carpenter, um, Duguay, I think, uh, a bunch of other high-level names. Mm-hmm. And they started discussion with each other. And I learned things I never knew before. Right. Because only they know. Right. You see? So, uh Something like that. Um, of course, the Bobby Orr one was really interesting. I, I, you know, and Brian Burke was there too that same time, and yeah. uh, and Derek Sanderson too. I was there for that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right with these guys talking to you like you're. What was you're what was friend. the Bobby Orr story? Well, he had a number of them, but I, we recorded them. Yeah, and uh, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but we had Derek Sanderson there once, you know, as a guest. I, I can't name you all the different people sure. we had. But sure. right now we're doing a hockey time machine where because of the pandemic, we couldn't do our alumni lunches. Well, we're back doing it now. Right, but, right. So it started off small just to keep our group together. But it's sort of when I get involved in something, it's just, it gets bigger. And, yeah. And we've had, we even had Trechak and Mikhailov and Yakushev on live from Moscow for one show. We've had all kinds of different, Scotty Bowman loves it. He, he, he comes on. He loves the history. Tell well, us, yeah. tell us about the hockey time machine. Tell us about what, what its goal is, what, what, what sorts of stories you, you, you tell from week to week. Well, we started off as just a few of us um, trying to keep in touch when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And then we, where people found out they wanted to be part of it and, you know, and we, we do know some players. Okay, so they came on. Yeah. And in new themes, different teams. We, we did a California Seals one. We we do a Leafs Stanley Cup one. We did a Broker one. We did all kinds of different themes. And we show footage. They use my footage. Right. We have two excellent, well, three, three or four different moderators, including Mike Wilson and Steve Pakin of TVO, yep. Glenn Dreyfus, amazing man in Seattle. And, and Kevin Shea as well. So um, they make the show up because they're so good. They're professional. They're great. You see, but we ask them questions about things that normally they won't get asked and we'll show a video. I remember this one that we had Jim McKinney on, funniest guy ever. And he's talking about his high school days. And he says, well, I played football, you know, for this high school. And that same moment, we put up footage of him playing. Oh football, no! <laughs> you see, so it's probably something he's never seen before. No, he, he went to no. So um, we do things like that. That's amazing, and, and, and it's we, available on YouTube. Yes, every yeah, the hockey time machine YouTube channel. They're all there, and uh, we were featured in New York Times. There was a whole big article on us, and a number of other publications and things, and and uh, it's a lot of work. Um, but we're going to continue on. Uh, the, the one we're having in May 26, I think, we're having Chris Hadfield come on live oh, wow. with us. I asked him, so you think you spare 10 minutes and and we'll record you whenever it's good for you. Yeah. Talk about your grandfather who was associated with the Leafs. So we get the word back from his people because he's got so busy. Yeah, of course. So, no, he'll come on live for an hour on wow. that night. Now, Chris Hadfield... In case you didn't know, well, you know who he is. Yeah, of course. Okay, the astronaut. Uh, and a real Leaf fan. Unbelievable Leaf fan. His, he heard a rumor that his grandfather, family legend, was a, a trainer with the Leafs in the 30s. Okay. So it, through Mike Wilson who, and, and Deborah, who they made the connection. Deborah, Mike's wife, yeah. That's right. And, and we said, well, how are we going to prove this? Well, um, couldn't have been the trainer. It was Tim Daly was a trainer. But we search old newspaper articles and we see, well, there is a Sergeant Major Hadfield there. He was the first physical trainer 
He was from the army, and he, and Consmite bought him in the train. Charlie Conacher and all these people. Oh wow! And we found newspaper articles, and even found footage. Wow! And, and that was afterwards, and I thought that's incredible. I sent it to to the Hadfield family, so he has this connection with the Leafs, and his granddaughter now has a big connection too. All Leaf stuff. Yeah. So. I said, gee, it'd be nice if you can come on our show, knowing I, he, he couldn't possibly sure, do it. Sure, sure. But he's coming on. Let's hope it And when is, when is that well, potentially going to... Whatever Thursday, last Thursday in May, the 26th or something. Okay. Uh, but, you know, and he's busy too, so it could be moved to another date. But um, that's the sort of thing that no one else does. Mm-hmm. It's a different story. Absolutely. I love that. I love the ability to show him something he wouldn't have seen about his own history or a player, you know, or, proved you know it. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, family legend, quote unquote, proving so much about the NHL uh, and uh, hockey. And I know you did some, some with football as well uh, uh, that, that would have otherwise just been lost to time. It's fantastic mm-hmm. that we have people like you out there working on this. The hockey time machine is definitely uh, uh, worth checking out. You can get on an email list as well to find out all the news of the, the upcoming updates or just subscribe on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, um, weekly, weekly posts, typically for the most part. That, that mostly weekly. Out. Yeah. Um, and the challenge is finding, well, finding the themes is easy, and you want to have the right players joining in. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you could do it. We did the Forbes Kennedy incident when he knocked down the linesman, and we had the linesman and, and Forbes <laughs> Kennedy on at the same time, and Eddie Johnston who was there, and I mean, you have to think. Differently, you have to think what hasn't been done. Right. What the referees give a different perspective. Of course. Let's get a referee in or something. That's how you make good entertainment and build your knowledge base. Yeah, everyone everyone knows about, you know, Bobby Orr scoring the 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 goal, but it, those smaller stories, it turns out that the fascination for those smaller stories is insatiable. I mean, we we all love to hear them and, and it's great to know that there are people like you out there uh, perpetuating them, finding them posting them, letting us all kind of revel in it, including the people who took part of them in the first place, who in their minds probably relive the situation differently than what they actually see on video because all of our memories oh, kind of play tricks I, on I us in those regards. I don't believe everything I read. Right. You okay, got there's it. this famous story of Alfie Moore, the, the goalie in 1938. They brought him, took him out of a tavern and threw him in the net for Chicago. And uh, he beat the Leafs. And that story lasted for many, many years. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't true. Okay. okay. I mean, that's a fascinating story. Uh, you know, the Hawk goalie, Caracas, was injured. Um, David Kerr, the Ranger goalie, was in the stand just to playoff game, game right. one of the finals. And the Leafs didn't want Hawks to use David Kerr because he was too good. So Con Smythe and, and the Chicago owner, they get into a fist fight, mm. you know. But they knew that Alfie Moore was in the town. And he was a minor league goalie. And he was at home, and Frank Selke Sr. called him and said, well, can you come, you know, and play? He was not at a tavern. It's Now, I found out how that story started. Because Chicago newspaper man, 1938, he was upset that the, they had to put in such an unproven goalie. Sure. And he made this comment, 1938, Toronto thinks it's a... Center of the hockey universes, 1938. Right. He says they can bring anybody from anywhere out of a bar, whatever, and put them in net. And that story stuck. Oh, assuming that it's not a turn of phrase, that it was actually what happened. Exactly. It it wasn't true. He was home. Oh. You see, so I don't believe everything I read. Sure. I like to find out what really happened. He can do that with video. Of course. An awful lot. Uh, I mean, there's that famous goal, Pete Langell scores. They used to win the cup in 42. That's the season came back down three games and, the, and they win four in a row to win. Well, you look at the photo, the Trotsky photo, and there's no goalie in the net. So people say, well, that can't be the photo. It was Detroit would pose a goalie, whatever. Right. Well, it was that. Because when you look at the film from the other angle, it shows exactly how that goalie's not in the net. 
a Leaf player knocked him out, you see? Oh. So you know now what really <laughs> happened, you see? So you match the two together. Two together. That's amazing. That's, there's yeah. there's a ton yeah, of those. There's so we, many examples we, like that. He's got so many stories. We've got to do this again. I, I could I could fill I could fill another four hours with this. <laughs> I mean, how many hours of film have we watched? I'm sure there's a, a story for everyone. Uh, but we really appreciate you, Paul, for coming on. Uh, just such an integral part of hockey history. Uh, and if you're out there and you've seen all games from the Summit Series, you have this man to thank who you also just listened to for the past hour uh, and so much more. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. If you found this as fascinating as I have, check out Hockey Time Machine. It's available on YouTube once a week. Uh, subscribe to the channel, maybe to the email list as well to get those lists on when the episodes are coming out. But, Paul, once again, thank you for joining us so much. Uh, for Brian Aaronworth, the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast, this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is my Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!